Good morning, everybody. This is Belize on uclaradio.com. You're listening to The Menu, uh, UCLA Radio's premier food show where we talk about everything food and food culture in Los Angeles. Um, today... I have a special interview with Chris Amarold. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Um, he is the bar director of OTM LA, and he also has a pop-up project called Parm Boys. And this is a phone interview that I made yesterday, and I with my incredible audacity skills, I edited it and will now play it for you. Um, just wanted to just wanted to thank again um, the Otium family um, for offering me wonderful drinks last night so that I can take pictures of them for the menu's Instagram, which is the menu.radio. And to Chris again for um, having a chat with me. And uh, without further ado, let's get into our cocktail special episode, um, starting with the interview. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions about like how do you how did you get into bartending and then some questions about cocktails and then in the end I want to talk about Parm Boys. That sounds awesome. Okay, then let's get started. So how did you get into bartending? So I moved out here from Boston uh, eight years ago uh, to be an actor, kind of how most people start off in hospitality. Uh, I didn't have uh, a good footing as far as a job yet, so I had basically sent my resume out to a bunch of bars and restaurants with fake um, bars and restaurants that were on it, because I had never actually worked in a restaurant before I moved to LA, uh, and that didn't go over so well for a very long period of time, so I ended up working retail at, uh, I guess, Jeans in the Sherman Oaks Fashion Square Mall, until I had a buddy of mine who was working at a restaurant in Culver City that was going to be closing soon. So they were losing people left and right. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to bar back over there. And I, I jumped at the opportunity just because I wasn't making any money beyond the minimum wage when I was working at the mall. So uh, I had worked there for a little bit. Um, I had started slowly bartending after that. And eventually there was a guest that came in who uh, we had a lot of uh, stuff in common, I guess. So he was from Boston, moved out here to be an actor, had been out here for about 35, 45 years at this point, and had a family but was working in the restaurant industry, and he asked me to make him a cocktail. So I made him this really terrible, I think it was a vodka soda with muddled strawberries and lemon juice, and I, like, slid it over to him like I was Tom Cruise from Cocktail, and he was like, okay, I mean, this is this is cool. He was, like, very polite about it. And then asked me if I had any interest in learning a little bit more about how to make drinks. And I had already attended bartending school in Boston, which 
obviously looking back on it now is kind of a complete joke to, to kind of what, um, you know, the expectations of the job are now. But, you know, I was definitely interested in, in learning a little bit more. Uh, and from there, he was the person that introduced me to kind of the first person to teach me how to bartend, which was Julian Cox um, seven years ago. So he put me in this class. It felt very much like an audition where there was a bunch of bartenders there, kind of call style, and all of us would sit down with, uh, you know, a table of five dudes and they would just grill you about your resume and ask you a bunch of questions for about five minutes. And then they would say, okay, cool. We'll call you maybe. <laughs> and so from there that started, uh, this sort of, I guess I call it like survivor for bartenders. There was about 70 of us that made the cut out of probably about 200 people that had interviewed. And we, they put us in this restaurant, um, which is now where Petty Cash Taqueria is on Beverly Boulevard in West Hollywood. And we would learn, um, you know, spirits. We would learn cocktail specs, recipes, tools, um, speed trials. We would get up in front of our classmates and we'd have to race each other. And if you didn't do something right or you did something out of order or you messed up the recipe or you spilled something, they would knock your tins over in front of everyone and you'd start over. It was super, super intense. Um, and then at the end you would take a test and if you got a call from a number you didn't recognize, you were not invited to come back. Oh. So that was about six weeks worth of that, which was definitely, uh, you know, it felt like school again. The, be the best part about graduating college was, oh my God, I don't have to do school anymore. And it felt <laughs> like school, but, uh, you know, even, even more hyper intense version of that. Um, so from there, uh, after about the six weeks, there are 15 of us that took the final. About eight of us passed, and two of us were named bartenders, and I was one of the two that kind of remained at the end of that. Um, and so from there, I kind of called my, <laughs> my acting manager, and I said, hey, I think I'm going to take a little break from the acting stuff right now and really focus on this because I just got done with the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and uh, it would be really awesome if I could just kind of explore what's going on uh, with the with the craft cocktail thing because I got super into it. I just, I found it fascinating that you could, um, you know, there was all this technique and all this history and all this ingredient-based uh, stuff. And obviously living in California, we have a lot of access to different, not only spirits, but produce as well and, and we're completely spoiled in that regard so I really wanted to dive in headfirst and see you know what it had to give me and that was you know seven years ago and I haven't looked back since honestly wow um the training sounds a little difficult it sounds like a reality tv show of like oh, totally. academia and food industry <laughs> yes Yes, I think they should have got a camera crew in there because I think it would have been some of the most ridiculously entertaining stuff. Like, Netflix or Amazon would totally be on board to support this right now. Wow. And after that training, how did you become the bar director of Otium? Okay, so I had worked, uh, ended up working for a Julian Cox project after that, and then had jumped around to a couple of different places and uh, I had first got my, my opportunity to run my first bar was probably five, five years ago called Harlow in West Hollywood. And from there, um, you know, I was pretty young still. I had only been 
really craft bartending for about a year and some change, and it was definitely a risk that I took being so young and, and kind of naive and being like, oh, I can totally create drinks and run my own program. And it was a great learning experience for sure for, for that because it, it let me cut my teeth as far as management and mentorship and really getting to know the other sides of the bar business and restaurant business that had absolutely nothing to do with making drinks, which was fun. And then from there, I, I was recognized by Zagat 30 Under 30 um, for, for my work over there. And that kind of really opened up uh, a huge door for me because then I started competing in competitions. I started winning competitions. People started to recognize me when I would go places. And, uh, you know, I just got to meet a whole, a whole sort of um, cornucopia of different people in, in the different varying facets of the industry. And, you know, after making enough friends, um, I had met Tim loosely uh, with Julian, actually. So Tim Hollingsworth, the chef of, of Odium, at Harlow. So that was kind of about a year and a half before uh, we ever started working together. Um, I was running a bar for him up in the valley called The Fiscal Agent, which was right above Barrel and Ashes on Ventura. And from there, uh, they wanted to basically expand the barbecue concept that was downstairs, and they were going to push the bar out, unfortunately. Uh, but they offered me uh, the similar position over at Odium to run the beverage program over there. So uh, as much as I don't like driving from Hollywood to downtown <laughs> every day, uh, it's a really fun spot to work. At, um, you know, the design is beautiful. The, the chefs are obviously extremely talented and uh, we're right next to the Brilliant Museum, kind of in the heart of uh, downtown LA, which I think is arguably one of the most exciting places to have a restaurant or a bar in 2019 anywhere in the US. So mm -hmm. um, I feel very fortunate to have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very much like somebody who believes that there is uh, a kind of chronology to how everything is supposed to work out. And I didn't think that when I first started bartending that I was going to work with a chef from the French Laundry and be there for a long period of time. So uh, it's kind of crazy how things change. But I think in some kind of absurd backwards way, this is always where I was supposed to end up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, while I was listening to you, I you talked about the competition yes what did they look like like so, how, how how do they you know um how do they work okay so cocktail competitions they they've grown so much so from when i started so when i first started it was facebook was like still the platform so basically you submitted a cocktail recipe on uh online and then people would vote on them and if you got enough votes it would make it to this blind tasting where basically mm -hmm. a group of judges would get in a room and make the cocktails with all the you know specialty ingredients and stuff and then that person would kind of advance to the next round or if there was one so that was the first one I ever won was uh, the brokers gin competition where I basically mm -hmm. had to make a gin cocktail it was blindly judged and then uh, I was selected to go to New Orleans uh, to represent the West Coast at Tales of the Cocktail, which is kind of like Comic-Con for 
uh, United States bartenders. It happens every year in, in New Orleans in July. Uh, but now there's there's different ones that have much more intensity where you're making not only one drink in front of a group of judges, but multiple drinks, uh, anything from, you know, hidden ingredients to uh, secret challenges where they handicap you with stuff, uh, speed challenges, uh, you know, mystery ingredients a la Iron Chef style, um, all the way to being judged on your uh, marketing campaign for a cocktail, uh, as well as the narrative of why you create a certain drink. So competitions have grown immensely and, and are always kind of uh, changing. So now I think they're so multifaceted um, that it, it kind of makes the competitions I started with uh, when I was competing seem very silly and very juvenile compared to the stuff that uh, they have people doing now. Well, yeah, it, it seems like most people don't realize that there's a huge community behind, um, you know, the behind behind a cocktail behind you know a bartending gig it's it's it seems really cool to have absolutely that, that I, I kind think, of events yeah that's like the best part i think what really helped me was there is a crazy network and the network runs really deep and the best part about coming up in the bar industry in la i think is everyone was super super supportive of me when i was very very young and i had no idea what i was doing and uh you know if it truly wasn't for people taking me under their wing inviting me to events taking me to cocktail competitions telling me to taste these spirits going to these bars to see what these bartenders were making you know i i definitely would have been at a huge disadvantage and I would have felt very isolated and alone, and I don't know if I would have ever been able to kind of, um, you know, advance the way that um, my sort of career trajectory has done. So I, I definitely liken a lot of that to the the warm parts of the community that totally welcomed me when I was a baby bartender, like brat, 23 years old, <laughs> and was like, oh, I know how to make a Negroni. What's up, everyone? And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they definitely do a great job of kind of mentoring uh people that are, are willing to listen and uh you know w without them i definitely would not be here today mm -hmm. and now you are the bar director of otm i was yes. wondering about some of your responsibilities and um some challenges that you face yeah so um uh, responsibilities are i'm basically in charge of anything that has to do with spirits so um, we have a wine team that handles the wine. Uh, I have passed off the beer list responsibilities to some of my other bartenders that uh, are a little bit more involved with that. But if it involves uh, liquor, that's my department. So whether it's picking out uh, new spirits to be on the back bar, selecting individualized barrels of spirits that are different and rare that make uh, themselves unique to Odium specifically, training and mentoring the staff, making sure that not only do they feel fulfilled uh, coming to work every day at Odium, but if they do have uh, aspirations uh, to do something outside of the four walls at Odium, and most of them do, uh, it's about helping mentor them and make sure that I'm helping them the best I can to put them in a position to succeed. 
And then the most fun part of my job is creating the drinks. Um, obviously, moving out here to be an actor, creativity is extremely important to me. And at Odium, I definitely feel uh, licensed and encouraged to push the boundaries of what I think are um, not only drinks that are delicious, uh, but I get to make drinks that I find interesting uh, as well. So we're... We're actually in the middle of our a menu right now for the fall winter season. And so how that kind of works is we'll go from uh, picking out a theme. Uh, usually we try to do something that's a little bit more deeper than a surface idea. So uh, in the past, we've done uh, a tribute to Jonathan Gold and featured restaurants that uh, he thought made up the fabric of Los Angeles and really taking on the understanding that, you know, L.A. isn't just about, you know, uh, $16 smoothies and, like, hikes up running Canyon. It's definitely about, like, the mom-and-pop shops, uh, people that have traveled, uh, you know, through various uh, countries and, and overcome a lot of different things and being able to see that that food is an essential part of everyday life and the culture here and how that influences music, art, um, you know, design, anything that happens in L.A. and what makes L.A. so special, that was really cool. So I try to use that as a jumping-off point. Though I, I am from Boston. I'm definitely, like, a foreigner when it comes to living in L.A., but I think I, from being here and being exposed to so much cool stuff, I think... Uh, you know, it's my job to make sure that no matter what menu theme we're doing, uh, it, it echoes very loudly that, hey, this is like an L.A. menu um, per se. So we're definitely in, a, in an experimental stage right now uh, doing a menu called Once Upon a Time in Los Angeles. And what we're doing is taking two menu concepts that are uh, found pretty common. So some people will do like movies and some people will do like neighborhoods of L.A., and what we're doing is doing movies that were filmed and or uh, inspired by regions of Los Angeles and using those to make up uh, a map of L.A. that is not only authentic to, like, the movie, but maybe authentic as well to the area in which it's supposed to be filmed. So um, we're using two sort of different... Uh, frame points or, or I guess viewpoints of Los Angeles to create a menu that creates um, you know a nice picture of what LA is is about also and I, I was wondering how does that how does this theme translate into a cocktail like what would you use or how yes. would you craft that okay so um, I from my acting days I learned this is like the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody is uh, always be on the observational prowl. And it's mm -hmm. just about like taking inventory of things that are around you all the time. So obviously it's 2019. Everyone's got really expensive smartphones and stuff and AirPods. And, you know, we're, we're all seemingly like distracted by uh, something, you know, a little device that's in our hand and not really paying attention too much to all the other things that are around. Uh, so being able to, one, just kind of like take a step away from our phones and uh, just kind of take in this, ev everything around you can be used as creative uh, 
influence and inspiration, but you have to be uh, open and susceptible to it. So for, for us, the movies uh, are obviously like, they're supposed to be depicting a part of LA uh, or they're actually filmed in this neighborhood of Los Angeles. So one, we want to be true to the aesthetic of the movie. So um, making a cocktail that might be emblematic of the time period or making a cocktail that's emblematic of the uh, neighborhood in which it's filmed in or taking uh, an aspect of the title or an aspect of a character or literally it could be you know something that they ate or drank in the movie um it, it could literally be anything honestly and for us to make sure that it's clear we we help use other like frames of reference to make sure that people drink this cocktail and go oh yeah like that's the big lebowski for sure like i totally understand why that's there um it just makes for me i i, I like to do very very sort of culinary advanced drinks that definitely challenge people. Mm-hmm. So in in another way, I need my theme to have uh, something else that the guests can relate to, because I think if you if you make something really cool, uh, you make a really like you go to dinner somewhere and, and spend a, you know five hundred dollars on a tasting menu, and if it's just all about like how the the food is cool and the space is cool and it's like this chef and everything's floating and you're eating balloons and stuff like that's that's well and good but what takes that sort of experience to the next level in my opinion Mm -hmm. is allowing uh your guests to to relate something from that meal to something in their own life so um i find movies are definitely that sort of escapism or cathartic or um you know uh comedic uh, release from things and I think people when they watch movies they can relate either directly to the content of the movie or maybe they can relate to the time when they saw it for the first time or who they were with it just creates a a domino effect of of different stimuli that I think uh, a lot of people don't consider when they're making drinks or food per se Uh, so I think that's kind of what makes us a little bit more um, unique is trying to yes do something that's uh, culinarily uh, elevated something that is challenging using fresh juice and manipulated ingredients and good spirits but at the same time giving the guests something where they can say oh this is this was from that I remember seeing that so that that really gives you um, for lack of a better term a, a better experience honestly yeah that sounds inc- incredible and um, when a customer comes to the restaurant how would you pair a cocktail with their food because we're usually used to pairing food with wine so totally i I was wondering what you thought of that and how you make that um, decision so i think (laughs) it's it's gonna be so bad that i'm saying that i don't think cocktails really are supposed to pair with food Mm -hmm. if i'm being honest the only reason for that being that alcohol, um, or, or I would just sorry, liquor spirits in general, they are much higher proof. So uh, I think there is a lot of jostling that happens when you do have that sort of uh, 
experience of, okay, wine works and beer works a lot with food because it's lower ABV. Um, you have the, the flavors are definitely more pronounced because it's a lower proof. And so you're not necessarily getting like an alcohol burn that's taking away from the experience. But there are guests that really want to do a cocktail pairing with food. And uh, for me, it's attacking any flavor pairing with a drink that I would uh, for a wine. So you take into consideration like what they're eating, what course they're at. Uh, you know, if they're looking for something where they're drinking uh, or they're eating a raw bar item and it's, you know, raw bar items tend to come out in the beginning of the meal. So doing something that has a much more acidic, much more effervescent, uh, maybe slightly bitter uh, is something you want to go there. Whereas, um, you know, as you get towards the, uh, the later half of the meal, doing something that's a little bit more, um, let's say, if you're doing like a, a protein, like a steak or something, you could have something that has a lot more bold flavor, just, just the same like you would pair a wine. So uh, steak is t technically like bold red wine, right, with uh, a lot of flavors. And then from in there, you kind of get somebody who likes something more on the acidic side or, or a little bit more on the rich and jammy. And we can kind of customize to however a guest wants to do it there. Um, but it, 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 it works. It, mm -hmm. It's not like my favorite thing to do personally because I would never really pair cocktails with what I'm eating. I much prefer wine. Mm -hmm. But uh, if a guest wants to do it, like I'm, I'm more than happy to kind of uh, try to figure it out in the moment and, and see if we can make it happen. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about how um, Los An like we're li lucky to be in Los Angeles um, mm -hmm. because we have such a great scene here. And what do you think is coming for our Los Angeles cocktail scene? Oh man, what's coming? <laughs> uh, let's look into the crystal ball and see what's coming. <laughs> um, uh, honestly, I think you're going to see um, a return to more... Uh, I, I think the craft cocktail revolution was amazing, and obviously it's the reason why I have a job. Um, but I think a lot of people are, are into the uh, two other kinds of bars. I think there are a lot of people that definitely appreciate good cocktails, but I think uh, people are kind of definitely looking for places that either one have a very home style atmosphere so it's like going to your home bar when you go home for the holidays and seeing everybody you know that's sort of not necessarily like a dirty dive bar but a bar where it's much less focused on the cocktails and the whole allure of going there is the atmosphere and the people mm -hmm. i think that's one and the sort of other side of that same point is I think you're going to see a lot more people get into high concept bars, which are really interesting to me where uh, you have, instead of, I feel like if you go to downtown right now, you go to every restaurant bar or every bar and they, all the back bars kind of look like they're designed by the same person. You know, they're like this exposed brick and, and like high ceilings, and big window and there's hip-hop playing and you know there's all these like industrial style light fixtures and you know the ceilings are all exposed and you're like okay cool like we get it we're we're in LA now <laughs> you know um so I think you're gonna see a lot more creativity put back into the spaces where people are drinking so um going to a spot that 
has a fully immersive atmosphere to itself. So not only are the drinks telling you that you belong in a certain like time or period or world, the space is telling you that the uh, the aesthetic of the bartenders, the music that's playing. Uh, I think LA, if you see all those like uh, the museums of whatever and all mm -hmm. the sort of like pop-ups that are happening, people definitely want to buy into something for, you know, two, three hours at a time. And I think bars are definitely something that, um, you know, folks in LA definitely take uh, a cue from when you go to like France or London, which are pretty much full of all uh, high concept bars that are like, you know, you walk into a subway entrance and you go all the way down and there's like tickets everywhere and there's old newspapers and you're having drinks inside of a train car. You know, there's there's a lot of fun stuff that I think people can do uh, from a design standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, that L.A. is really just like kind of like barely graze the crux of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you'll see a lot more of those coming in, in the next couple of years for sure. Yeah. And before we move on to our next um, question... One, I wanted to ask one final thing about cocktails. Um, yes. What are some tips you can give for home bartenders who like to make cocktails for their friends? Okay, yeah. So my <laughs> favorite one is pay attention. Okay, so this goes back to like your observational prowl idea, which is, okay, so, um, you know, I'm 31 years old, and I've been eating and drinking things uh, for 31 years. So if you're, you know, hopefully you're eating like a normal person <laughs> and you have like, you know, two to three, four square meals a day, um, you have this flavor inventory already built into yourself that you haven't realized, but you've been, you've literally been working on it every time you ingest anything. Um, and you can use anything that you've ever tasted to inform yourself of like what you think is delicious. So I always give the example of peanut butter and jelly, right? So peanut butter and jelly is uh, like an American staple. Like you eat it when you're a child. It's so simple to make. But if you break it down flavor-wise, you understand that it works because it's like nutty, creamy peanut butter and then tart bold fruit forward jelly and you're like oh that sounds good like that the, the juxtaposition of those flavor profiles really really makes sense to me mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you can take those and deconstruct them and start applying them to cocktails so you know i anytime i go out to eat anywhere i look at the entire food menu and just look at how the dishes are composed to make flavors because you you're been, you've been building flavor webs for forever honestly. And being able to say like, Oh, cool. Like I remember this element from this salad that I had, that was kind of good. Or I remember the element of this dessert. It was so delicious. You can actually deconstruct the, the flavor notes of what's happening in that dish and totally apply it to what's happening in cocktails. And so I think people are, are often kind of like dumbfounded by how we come up with, with flavor profiles for drinks and, and honestly, it's a very little time is spent on 
trying to come up with brand new spanking flavors that may be like 10% of the time. The other 90% of it is, is truly just trying to take an inventory of things that you know and understand and then make sure that, okay, cool. Like you understand what's balanced. You understand what you like at home. So, you know, taking an a personal inventory of like things that you enjoy eating and drinking on a regular basis, all of a sudden you're able to create cocktails based on that because you know you know your own flavor flavor taste buds you know mm -hmm. um that that's kind of like the most important thing the the, the second important thing is like ju juice fresh and use good ice if you can so mm. you know if uh instead of buying like the true lemon juice like or whatever that the <laughs> real lemon juice i think it is you know in the in the thing that stuff's pasteurized and um, it does not have the, the true acidulated value of what real fresh juice it is. So mm -hmm. anytime you can, like use, use fresh juice and all of a sudden you'll see your cocktails get even more elevated. And then if you are shaking with, you know, ice out of your freezer at home, uh, don't shake so much. I know it looks really cool to shake in front of your friends all the time, uh, but that ice has a really, really small surface area. So when you shake it hard, it dilutes very, very quickly. So what you want to do is make sure that you're not shaking too hard uh, with that ice. So if you're making a margarita at home with ice out of your freezer, uh, I would honestly shake that for maybe three to four seconds max uh, in order to get the, the proper dilution for that. That'll, that'll definitely uh, massively improve the quality of drinks that you're making at home. Wow. Thank you for that. I, I took yeah. enough note of these. And yeah. we'll use them. Um, yeah, please, please use them. <laughs> Make cocktails for good, not for evil. Yes, yes. Um, and my final question was um, about Palm Boys, a project yeah. that you started recently. Uh, yes. If I'm not wrong. Yes, very recent. So, um, where did that idea come from, and what do you do? Okay, so Farm Boys is uh, a, it's a thing now. <laughs> I guess it's a pop-up. It started as something we casually did in an apartment. So it was uh, a buddy of mine who was also from Boston. Uh, we grew up similar backgrounds. We're both half-Asian kids that grew up eating a ton of Italian food in Boston because that's just kind of how that works. And so um, from there, we were, I think, just having drinks on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and we were getting pretty rowdy, and we really, really were craving just some, like, East Coast-style red sauce Italian food. So the natural move uh, in our neighborhood is try to go to Dantana's, which is obviously a, mm -hmm. a, a hallowed staple. It's, it's like church. Um, <laughs> But trying to get a reservation there on a Sunday is nearly impossible. So we were like, ah, oh, man, they don't have any reservations until like 10 p.m. And it's 4. Like, we're, we're really hungry. So <laughs> we ended up going to the supermarket. Do, do you, I don't know, does anybody call it a supermarket out here? That's like the most East Coast thing I've said in this interview, I think. Uh, supermarket. <laughs> Not calling it Ralph's. I think we went to Ralph's. And then uh, just started grabbing ingredients. Um, to make chicken parm and pasta at his place. And 
we again we had been drinking and so we were like oh like we should try to you know like invite some people so we tried like inviting just random people that were at the bar to like come with us and like eat this chicken farm which was uh very funny and, and somehow we convinced a couple of people to like come over to his place and hang out and drink wine and while we were preparing this feast and uh you know, it, it actually came out really, really good, I think, uh, which shocked both of us, considering how inebriated we were. But uh, it, it definitely sparked, uh, you know, that's the drunken conversation. We should do this again. We should do this every Sunday. And what we did was we started doing it about every other Sunday. We would call, like, a different group of our friends or, uh, you know, work colleagues or something like that. And what we would do is say, hey, we're going to do – chicken parm like sunday supper style for a bunch of people what i need from you guys is to bring some antipasts and you know some some wine and we'll make the parm we'll make the pasta we'll make everything else just like show up drink have a good time and we had just honestly been doing it out of his apartment or in my apartment for groups of like six to eight people and that has gone on for about like a year and a half so naturally from that Again, probably after another inebriated uh, Sunday evening after doing it, we were like, you know, we should do this. We should really do this at a professional kitchen. That way we don't have to do the dishes. And I was like, yeah, that's such a good idea because cleanup for this is really, really a pain in the ass. Uh, so what we did is we tried to ask a couple of friends of ours that had bars that, that had kitchens, and they were like, we're not going to give you the kitchen. You goose. Like, you guys are crazy. Like, go home. We're like, all right, fine. Uh, and then there was a friend of mine who had opened up a restaurant um, called Ronin in uh, West Hollywood on Melrose. And they do a Mediterranean Italian menu. Uh, mm-hmm. The chef, he used to be the um, sous chef at uh, Soto. And a buddy of mine uh, who was doing the bar program is also a partner. He was one of the people that helped train me like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So they, they were losing a, a couple of bartenders and Daniel, the chef, had asked me, hey, like, would you be interested in coming and doing some kind of bar pop-up where you could just hang out, make your own menu, invite your friends, like, we'll pay you, you can literally do whatever you want. Uh, we just really need some bodies back here. And I was having dinner there by myself on a Saturday night, and I said, well, I mean, yeah, that, that, that sounds cool, but what if I had another idea for you? And he's like, okay, well, what's your idea? And I basically pitched him this idea of letting me and my buddy back there to like make chicken parm and make cocktails for people (laughs) on a Sunday. And he was like, yes, this is great. That was part of my interview with Chris Amaral, the bar director of OTM. And unfortunately, My recording got cut off while um, we were doing the interview, so I couldn't, I can't, I don't have the last part of the interview, Um, but I wanted to talk a bit more about Parm Boys and how you can get your tickets. So they do a monthly residency at Ronin, and they block off a chunk of their um, dinner hour reservations. And so you can, if you go to Resi, you can um, make reservations for the next Parm Boys pop-up. 
and their menu consists of it's a four course tasting menu and it's $35 per person uh, there's an antipasti a caesar salad and then a chicken and eggplant parm and then tiramisu for dessert and if you go to their insta page parm boys you can um you can see all the pictures and of the food and the pictures of the event and um and you can also find more information about how to make reservations it's it's you basically make a reservation for ronin the restaurant on melrose and um it says underneath parm boys and the next event that you can make reservations for is on november 10th so make sure to get your tickets for that to eat some really really good rest red sauce you know american italian classic dishes and they uh, chris also told me that they've been thinking about doing um uh they've been thinking about donating a part of the revenue to a charity and um so they wanted an aspect that would help um women organizations in Los Angeles and i think that's incredible and and just the fact that it's you know a great pop-up idea and um they look like they're having a lot of fun and yeah so without further ado i apologize for the technical error on my part and i'm going to play the last part of um this interview Or, or maybe twice and it was going to be a fun thing and now you know I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, you know we're making merch we're I'm starting a website there's just so many other facets to, to doing this now but it's uh, it's fun exciting you know it's, mm -hmm. it's a it's a cool challenge to learn the other other sides of the restaurant business and you know try to try to spread the word about harm harm awareness was <laughs> is very important to me so yeah yes. Well, thank you for having a chat with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we're back on UCLaRadio.com. This is Belez on the menu. And that was my interview with Chris. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I think I learned a lot about the craft cocktail culture in Los Angeles, and just, you know, some really good tips about how to make better cocktails, which I will definitely use when I'm making cocktails um, for my friends and family. Um, and before we end today's episode, I asked everyone what's their favorite cocktails in Los Angeles are. So let me read some responses. Um, first of all, Otium has great cocktails. Um, I really liked Scotty Doesn't Know, and it's, it's a drink with mezcal, cynar, um, 
I don't know how to pronounce this, but Cochi Torino, watermelon ice, and fleur de sel. And it's like very bitter, smoky. It kind of reminds me of um, like scotch whiskey. And, but it's also very fresh because you have the watermelon and the ice looks so cool in that glass. I think it's one of my favorite drinks there now. And another UCLA radio um, member who graduated recently said that she loves Scotty Doesn't Know as well, and it's her favorite drink there. So shout out to Jessica. Um, we love you. And then um, I, I had Gangsta from um, Laurel Hardware, which is also one of my favorite cocktails in Los Angeles because it's made with cucumber, waka, lime, and watermelon juice. And it's very fresh. It's not too sweet. And you can easily lose count of how much you drink of that. Um, but it's it's great. And it goes great, I think. Even though you don't, like Chris said, you don't want to pair food with cocktails, it goes great with like the little bites that you get at Laurel Hardware. And then my lovely co-host, Henry, said that his favorite cocktail is the Jalapeno Gimlet from Lukshan. I actually have not been to Lukshan yet, but Henry always has a lot of nice things to say about it. And I trust his recommendations. I also have to make another mention about, um, another honorary mention to, to this list. And that is the margaritas at Gracias Madre. I feel like a lot of people have strong opinions about Gracias Madre, but I think we can all agree that their margaritas are really good. They might actually be the best margaritas I've had. And I do drink a lot of margaritas. So even though I'm clearly not an authority on cocktails, um, it, it they are one, like one of my favorites and yeah those are all our all our recommendations and all our favorites from our listeners um, thank you for listening to the menu um, I hope you enjoyed this interview even though I had some technical difficulties um, but make sure you make your reservations to Parm Boys at Ronin, go to Odium, drink their lovely cocktails, eat, eat their wonderful food, and make sure to get good ice and juice your own juice for your cocktails because you want to impress your friends and you want to make good cocktails. So to close out this episode, I wanted to, I want to give a little quote from Chris himself. Um, that he wrote on the, the drink menu at Odium. I saw this coat and I, I really loved it, so I think I will share it with all of you. He says, so get in the kitchen, make mistakes, throw some stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. I promise you'll thank yourself for it later. So yeah, I hope to see all of you in the kitchen. If, if you do make cocktails, if you do make you know, if you do experiment with food, send me some pictures on the menu.radio on Instagram. And 
We'll be back here next Tuesday on UCLARadio.com. I'm Belize, and you were listening to The Menu. Thank you for tuning in, and have a lovely, lovely day.